0: already know who it is, punkadelophiles. It's Pod Stewart, Penis Williams, Meth Ditto, Jean Claude Van Graham. All right, that's funny. I've written down, I'll, I'll give you that one. Uh, the Precurious Aquarius, and it's time to get punkadelic. Let's fucking go. Lads, podcast hits 300 plays the other day, and I just don't even know the where to look. 11% of my listens come from Germany. What the hell is going on over there? I only know one fucking soldier in Germany, so is he 11% of my listens by himself? creepazoid that's actually creepy what's going on there um but just to say thank you very much um taking a quick look at it here now now we're up to 312 absolutely fucking dancing and i'm just i'm hard at work thinking about what the fuck i'm going to do when it hits episode 500 i will do some kind of stupid episode of me fucked up to say thanks um for all the listens and then we'll be just cracking on with what the fuck we're going to do for a thousand and that's going to be that and then we'll just basically take over podcasts, and then we'll work from there. And that's just it. Listen to me here for a minute. I've got this friend called Paul, and like, he's a a, a great guy, right? Really, really, really solid practitioner. Just game for whatever. Real third eye open type of motherfucker, like. And uh, I no, mean, nobody's ever gonna complain. The fucking he's hanging about or anything. Mind his p's and q's, you know. Not a fucking loudmouth, but not a wallflower either. And uh it just uh, straddles that line beautifully and uh But I just from the podcasts he has been recommending me over the last while like this is where I get the half of this from at this point is fucked up in the head. You would not believe how fucking messed up the last scripted horror podcast he sent me was. And um, we'll talk about it now in a second, but like I'm just like holy fuck, like I didn't even like horror shit before he put me onto that um the black tapes. And now look at the state of my um so just fuck knows what he's going to have me listening to next child porn or something. Um so yeah it just brings me to talking about uh, that horror podcast I was listening to um Veraska, and uh, just fucking the last episode was absolutely fucking traumatizing it was like a real real downer to be honest it was devastating in like all the wrong ways and fuck it was just one of those things like i was I was really really, really glad that I heard it. It's like an incredible piece of like the writing, the voice acting, the sound production um the the story if that's separate from the writing if that makes sense it's it was just bananas It's one of the best of I'm a big fan of those types of podcasts and um go back to sick podcast it's like episode three of this podcast if you want to hear like literally a list of what my favorite ones are. But yeah, this one was just messed up and it, it just, it really, really reminded me of the time, um, me and my girlfriend went to Portland for, for a long weekend and, um, we were gonna take the Portland Underground tour and we were fucking, like, we were buzzing for this. So there's all these fucking creepy underground tunnels and there's like obviously hundreds and thousands of urban legends about it and like half the urban legends from everywhere else fucking stem from basically the tunnels under Portland. And, uh, case in point, there's a fabulous fucking scripted podcast about it called The Polybius Conspiracy, which it all takes place in like, uh, I'm not sure if it's specifically Portland, but the Pacific Northwest in inner city, uh, inner city games arcades in the 80s, which were just meant to be fucking drug dens like um maybe not as glossy as all the movies make them seem what so um we we go on this tour right and like i am expecting to be hearing about like fucking pirates and like blackbeard used to come here uh, henry morgan the, the actual captain morgan was here when he wasn't fucking oppressing jamaicans and uh like just the whole fucking lot uh you know fucking sea shanties and fucking busty prostitutes fucking pouring gallons of fucking mead and whatnot I was just like you know I was just caught up in this whole thing and let me tell you what folks it could not have been any more straight down the line about human trafficking than anything else ever it was actually so harrowing like they were showing us this fucking tiny little box of a room that's like half the size of a wardrobe like just like nuts and uh, they would stash women in there and um they would just be they'd just be in there like it was like this was their new reality they'd be in there and like they had working trap doors up into the pubs above so like literally you could just be having a pint and then next thing you know you're a hooker like just straight up there was absolutely no thinking about it so uh, yeah so there's this little half wardrobe size room and uh, they would have just like Put women in there and being like, "You're not getting out." No, no. Um, it's basically once you accept that you're not a prostitute for us, uh, we'll give you a chair and that's it. It was fucking. It was so harrowing. It was weird. And there was like less fucking, far less crack than I thought it was going to be. And anyway, that's how I felt about Baraska by the end of it because sort of. <clears throat> It, would just, it was just like you knew it was all gonna end fucked up and badly and people were taking heroin and stuff in it and it's just you got you got to go hear that one and that's not even that long if you've never listened to a horror fiction podcast that'd be a really good one to get started with um might actually turn you off straight away though because like that ending is but if you're a horror fiend get on it you will enjoy that if you're a conspiracy fiend get on it and um, because i think like all the stuff that happens in that last episode probably almost certainly definitely happens somewhere like that's what the fucking real life Jeffrey Epstein's of the world and all are doing you know you know like I listen to Tim Dillon's podcast I I know these things oh my god so the Bronx are back baby uh, so so nice to have one of my favourite bands back on fucking form just uh, I, like I hate to be a negative Nancy about it but I am just I can't help but remark on it because it's so strange to me uh, like their last album just stinks and I don't know like it's not even like it stinks i mean i'm sure that there's plenty of people that think it's absolutely perfectly fine maybe even like it better than some of their other albums but it's just the first album of theirs that just left me totally 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 fucking cold it's like i can't get into it and i've tried it's not for lack of trying okay like bronx four is one of my favorite albums of all time possibly cracks the top 10 i don't know it's so good that song style over everything like that's one of the songs that got me listening to fucking hardcore punk. Like, I wouldn't even call them hardcore, but like, just one of the best punk bands in the world. Had such a shocking last album. So basically, four came out in 2013, then five came out whenever, 2018, and stunk the place up. And now we're gonna get a new album from them in August. The new song is called White Shadow. The band's called The Bronx. Get fucking on it a great story about the bronx just before we move on from them actually uh, just to say like one of the reasons i also just totally fell in love with this band was that when i went to see them in belfast um so they're from they're from southern cali somewhere and uh, so they came to play in belfast and the singer had just gotten out of jail and he just jumped off the stage came right down into the pit and just did the whole gig from there it was fucking savage it was they're just so fucking good um Listen to Heart Attack American, um, as another one of their most brilliant songs. And, uh, Cobra Libre. I could be getting that name wrong. Cobra something. Cobra something Spanish. Cobra Lucha. I'm not sure. Because they also moonlight as a mariachi band called Mariachi El Bronx, doing mariachi versions of their songs. So, they're pretty fucking interesting. Actually, now that I said that out loud, it's just on on me. I've literally never listened to Mariachi El Bronx. I don't actually have any interest in mariachi music. I think it is interesting that they do that, but I'm just here for the fucking riffs, boys. That's it. I'm a, I'm a simple. Like I'm a simple fucking creature on here. Like that, that's what people are learning over the course of fucking fifteen episodes. Just like fucking, you know, guitar make big noise go. That's me, happy as Larry. Um speaking of guitar make big noise go, me happy. It was just getting really gay when we made Sailor night about, um, Eyeless by Slipknot. If you don't know it, it's a track from Slipknot's first album that begins with, um, no joke, a jungle beat. And uh, the DJ is laying down like a hard fucking jungle drum and bass beat. And then, um, then the riffs start and it just gets off the typical Slipknot craziness. And then right before the end, it slows down to like, it slows down to what I would call the ideal tempo to have a crowd of 80,000 people bouncing up and down to. Like, due to the acoustics at festivals and the nature of how slowly it travels to the back of the crowd. So, it's just like, it's oddly prescient, like, that they would have that on their first album and then they would become the band that would fucking get 80,000 people fucking moving. So, um, that's always just been a weird one to me. There's a story about the lyrics as well as how, um, the chorus is, uh, you can't see California without Marlon Brando's eyes, which is obviously fucking gobbledygook because once they first got to New York for like their first record label meeting or whatever, their, a homeless guy just came up to one of the drummers and screamed that at him. So they were like, you know, well, we're not going to waste a good homeless screaming. So the point being, the specific, specific point being, because I'm a fucking nerd about these things, he's fucking know this. It's just so dirty in the intro so 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 dirty excuse me in the intro of eyeless where um the guitar uh, for a time is panned hard left in the headphones so it's only on the left channel um and then eventually it just hits a certain point in the song and something changes or the next you know the change in the riff and it fills back out in the stereo so you're getting it in both ears and it's just like fuck that's what gets my dick hard that's what i'm talking about Okay, so look, I'm just going to do a bonus episode about my detailed thoughts on the Snyder cut also, but um (laughs) safe to say I've already seen it twice, and in true OTT Zack Snyder fashion, there's already another version of it, Justice League, Justice is Grey, and uh, it's like the black and white cut, how or why it exists, who knows? who cares. Like, uh, I kind of think the whole black and white movies thing is cool, and we are going to be talking about movies for the majority of the time tonight. Um But anyway, I, I wanted to read out this quote to you from an article, but the quote is from Snyder himself. So basically the article's talking about how at some stage this year he's doing a charity showing at some cinema where it's just going to be the Snyderverse so they're showing Man of Steel, uh, Batman vs Superman, Dawn of Justice which I can only assume will be Zack Snyder's ultimate edition which adds that extra 25 minutes of uh, footage in the uh, little bit of extra uh, what's the word I'm looking for exposition I guess with uh, Amy Adams and Jimmy Smith at the start is he called Jimmy Smith? you know who I'm talking about anyway And uh, then it's gonna, so that is gonna be an IMAX screen. It's Man of Steel. It's Batman Superman. It's gotta be the ultimate edition, obviously. And then Justice League Justice is Grey, which sounds fucking sick to me, but you have to imagine that'll be fucking standing room only. Okay. So, uh, this is the quote. There is Zack Snyder's Justice League Justice is Grey edition, which is the black and white version, which I'm a huge advocate of and a huge admirer of, the director explained during fanfest. For me, it's my favorite version of the movie. I understand that people want to see the Snyder Cut in colour, and that's great, and I really want them to enjoy it in colour, but for me, the ultimate version is the black and white IMAX version of the movie, which is sort of the penultimate ridiculous movie that shouldn't exist at its highest, most fetishistic level, and I really, really love that, and I just, I fucking, I love that he used the word fetishistic because that's basically exactly what his movies inspire in his fans, because it's like, they're never perfect and there's always, always, always stuff to be picked over. And, uh, you know, it's like, um, it's like at least he fucking goes for it, you know? So, uh, just to say that, uh, I obviously love the Snyder Cut, seen it twice. and um, I have every intention of fainting and watching this, uh, fucking black and white grey edition, uh, this afternoon when I'm editing this podcast. So, um, yeah, um, we'll be talking about black and white movies a little bit later on as well, also. And just without getting too, too deep down into the whole Snyder Cut thing, like, about the black and white version, about the normal Snyder Cut just by itself, and um, the people, the haters are gonna say, why? Like, people are just gonna be like, why? But, can those people, the detractors, honestly look me in the eyes and mount the case for my counter question, which is simply, why not? Enough said, I think. So yeah, the put up a fake episode last night. Um that's my bad. I've no idea what the fuck happened there. Um I was editing that for fucking ages and then when I uploaded the file to Anchor it was twenty three minutes long and the whole thing was supposed to be over a hundred minutes, so I'll simply have to start from scratch because uh like I turned the computer spark off, didn't save the project file or anything, so that was just a fucking nightmare. The, the whole thing was a fucking nightmare from start to finish because as soon as I sat down to do that, then um, our downstairs neighbours started having what could only be described as a stupid bitch party and... um although i had the blinds down the sun started creeping down just underneath like we've got a fucking east facing house so i was totally blinded for the entire time that i was doing it couldn't hear a fucking thing i was trying to watch fucking arrival at the same time i like to edit while the movie on in the background and it's like yo can fucking people shut the fuck up and sun get out of my eyes i'm trying to have a cultured fucking afternoon here being creative and watching an academy award best picture winning film starring amy adams thank you very fucking much Felt like her in that fucking movie, trying to translate the fucking high pitched squeals that were coming from down the fucking stairs. Bananas, make you fucking sick. After that, then I was like, right, well, fuck it. I've, you know, I'll just, I'll get on with my life. I have, uh, I, I, as John Cavanaugh would say, either when you learn. So I was like, right, well, I'll just learn a valuable lesson to just be more thorough. Um, when I'm checking what file it is, I'm using to upload, and like the whole thing could have been avoided so easily, but. I was so sure that I got it right and everything was just shut down and I moved on so far that it's, and I'm just leaving it up there as an episode of shame for a while. I'll try and fix it this afternoon, but I'm going to obviously prioritize putting out the main episode because I think that's better crack at the end of the day. Uh, the fake episode was me doing alternate commentary for three of the greatest UFC fights of all time. I have no idea who the fuck would want to listen to that, but I wanted to do it and, um, you know it's my goal to get the 52 episodes so sort of you know not everyone's going to be a total fucking winner like let's let's be honest there's been a bunch of fucking losers already the first episode i can't state it i can't say it loud enough or fucking long enough apparently because it just remains the most listened to episode it's got like 60 listens and i'm like are you telling me that the majority of people heard that and then probably just bounced i'm like this guy can't fucking podcast listen i fucking am podcasting do you understand I, well I am bedroom podcasting okay don't talk to me about all these constant of good mics you wouldn't believe what I'm fucking working with here the computer that I edit on is got a fucking dodgy power connection so you can't just put the charger in, walk away, and know that there's going to be juice in it when you pick it up. I am fucking footering about with it, fiddling like a fucking bomb defusal expert, like fucking the Hurt Locker, trying to get this fucking thing in here, and I was just like, oh, oh fuck, don't cut the red one. That's a fucking hell. And then, so I had to fucking go through all that there before coming to do this here this morning. And then point being, also then last night, as soon as I went out the back, out onto my back deck to have the the smoke a fucking blunt, I was like, yeah, well, weather's been great all day, it's not winter anymore, things are finally looking up around this neighbourhood, so I can comfortably sit down on my outside cushions knowing the sun was out all day and um, there's no chance of them still being soaking wet with rainwater, it's going to be fine. So plank myself right down and instantly my arse is fucking swimming. There is no two other words for it, like, Instantly, my arse is swimming. I've sat down on where my girlfriend has very helpfully left a, a bottle of bleach cleaner. So, not only is my arse fucking swimming, it's about to start burning too. So, I'm like, right, fucking. So, go mental, call everything that I can literally see in my peripheral of fat not and fucking slam everything down until the point that I have to fucking then clean up a whole bunch of extra shit because there's fucking bleach everywhere. All over my fucking hoodie, all over the arse of my fucking sweatpants that I just washed that morning. And sweatpants you fucking canadian do you hear me and um i'm just saying it's bad time last night so forgive me for having a fucking dodgy episode up for a while um listen to it if you want i, I am on a thousand milligrams of thc for the 23 minutes of that episode that is up so um you can go in there. it hadn't really kicked in yet so um and don't worry we're just we're still working on ideas for what to do how to replace blast cast and uh we will get there we will get there um what I wanna do next is something that I haven't really done on here before and I haven't um got a lot of respect for when anybody else does it, so I don't know how this is gonna go, but I am prepared to try it. Okay. Um you know, like as with everything with this podcast, I'm just fucking I'm just trying shit, okay? Like what? So I'm gonna to I'm gonna get grab my phone here, I'm gonna get Spotify open. I'm going to do a live reaction to the new While She Sleeps song. Have not heard it at all. I've been avoiding it um on purpose. No. See, look at me. Instantly open my fucking uh social media folder, which I've literally got called anti-socials because I should know better. That's just muscle memory now. I hate how addicted to my phone I am good podcast recommendation if you worry about your addiction to your phone and your social whatever Um, look up Joe List's Mindful Metal Jacket and he had an expert on called Catherine Price who wrote a book called How to Break Up With Your Phone and there's some fucking great tips in there which I did not implement yet but I should and I will Um yeah they're just it's just basically like carrying around pure evil in your pocket <laughs> fucking so stupid um, so why did I even take it out oh yeah we were looking for Spotify and we are looking for While She Sleeps should have done a live reaction to the fucking the Bronx tune as well ok it's called Nervous it's got half a million hits already got it turned out fucking loud all right if you have any interest in um oh shit it features simon Neil, that dude from biffy Clyro. oh i'm concerned because anytime i try to get into biffy Clyro, doesn't work out that well anyway look um let's not hold it against him maybe he's only playing guitar on it and um, so is this like a new ep there's three songs here you are all you need explicit well if they're going to be swearing on one so one's called nervous one's called you are all you need Another one's called Sleep Society. I believe I've heard Sleep Society. Listen, let's just listen to Nervous and get it over with, okay? So I'm pressing play in three, two, one, go. Clean piano intro. Nice. Have they done that before? Don't think so. They're always adding shit to their sound, and I fucking love that about them. It's panning around the headphones. That's cool. Reverse reverb. Oh, there it is. Yeah, this rips. Love it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, now it's going to slow down. Lovely. Masters of dynamics. Now he's like... Hmm, kind of duet and backing vocals. Is that the right way to describe it? Pianos back there. Pianos awesome. No guitars here. Oh, there they are. Oh, there they are. They stick every Wild she sleeps song, It's got to sound huge when these guys headline festivals. It's like, how could you not be excited for that? This is savage. Laws Taylor is such a good singer. It's bonkers. An all-round metal vocalist. I just love how these guys are like metalcore, but there's loads and loads of hardcore in there, not maybe so much metal. Fucking hell. What a great band. That was really tasty, that little break And then when the heaviness comes back in You're so much happier Because you had a little break before this is, It's simple I am a simple fucking creature You know Make little quiet bits so big loud bits Sounds bigger and louder Oh yeah, and then there's w- Trademark riffage going on here Big, big sound on the guitars too Digging this so much I'm going to turn this up Oh, here we go. Break that shit down. Scream. Mm. Well, they've done it again. This is fucking hardcore. Oh, and there we go. Little percussion breaks. Like the last album's lead single. What was that one called? It was fabulous too. More clean singing and pianos. Oh, here's Simon Needle. Funky drums. This is just reminds me of Let Live, which is such a compliment. Awesome mid tempo. This is n- this is not going to be the heaviest song on the album, not by a long shot. I would say, although it is pretty heavy. Harmonized guitar part. Lovely. Have they done that before? Lovely lead work here. Oh, that's awesome. Love the overlapping vocals here. This is great. They produce themselves too, I believe, which is so, like, there's so much going on there and it's all balanced perfectly. And I'm only listening on Spotify. Imagine that in, like, fucking high-quality HD fucking audio. Damn. Or even on vinyl. I don't know. I don't have a turntable, so. Wow. I'm fucking knocked out while she sleeps. Nervous. Fucking, boys, nothing to be nervous about. I'm so excited to fucking finish talking to you fucking constant and go and listen to the rest of those songs now. Um So there you go. There's a couple of great song recommendations for you early on. Um What were we recommending there? So Eyeless by Slipknot. Get it. Listen to, notice, um listen out. Have it on headphones, first and foremost. And listen out for, in the intro, the guitars are panned hard left. And then once it kicks into stereo and you just get that fucking poof, that's what I'm fucking talking about, Punkadelophiles. That's Punkadelic right there. What's the Slipknot song also? Is it, um, is it duality where they have, uh, two different pinch harmonics harmonizing with each other, panned hard left and hard right. So you hear them in opposing ears and it's just like, what? Who the fuck even thought of that? I think that was actually the Rick Rubin album. So, um, maybe he did, but like, Though, I love fucking hearing about studio trickery like that. If you ever hear any good stories about that, let me know. And, um, the Bronx, White Shadow, absolutely top notch. Get into the Bronx, such a great band, um, punk rock as fuck. All right. So now what I wanted to do is have, uh, have a discussion with his or have a discussion with myself, I guess, as is always the case around here, um, about, movies and um I wanted it to be about cult movies but then when I was making my notes and I was like getting into like the movies that I really really wanted to talk about I was like wait I was like wait a lot of these are actually really really mainstream so it just got me thinking so I'm just trying to uh splurge out a whole fucking I'm just trying to fucking ejaculate the contents of my mind out into the place and, uh, oh yeah, I was thinking about this the other day. Is this a funny joke? Think about this for a second, right? So a boy comes in late to work and he's like, uh, oh, sorry, I couldn't make it on time. I was masturbating. Uh, I'll never be ejaculate again. Hey, here all week. Um, I'm sure somebody else had done that also, like, but, and yeah, probably just saw that somewhere on Twitter and was like, oh my god, I had the best idea. <laughs> that happens though. Fucking social media incepts you. So yes, back to the uh, very serious topic of fucking film journalism that we're going to do tonight. So I was going to try and answer the question what is a cult movie but then I took one look at the at the uh the Wikipedia entry for it and it's about fucking 4 a4 pages long or so much and there's so much back and forth and dialogue about where the term comes from and all it's like <sighs> it's like fuck maybe I literally don't know what a cult movie is and I'm just using the fucking thing wrong so I'm prepared to acknowledge that at all times and I will do it again as we move through this because uh, I try to take a different approach with writing my notes and getting my thoughts out on this one Um, so I've written it up like sort of like bullet points for paragraphs for an essay and I'm just going to try and jump off those We'll see how this goes and don't even stress it because actually tonight then we're also going to, we're going to launch a new segment on the podcast. We're going to have a new segment that I'm pretty excited about. And uh, then after that we've got Walloper Watch. I don't think there's too many this week, but you know what I mean? Like they're always out there. It's not like there's ever going to be a week where there's fucking none. It might depend on whether or not we get time to get there some weeks, but that's not the case today. Everything's all good here. Actually, just literally as soon as I realized that, as soon as I said that, I realized I'm absolutely starving and, um, yeah, I'm actually concerned that my stomach noise is going to come through on mic. So, (laughs) what? Why do you listen to this podcast? Seriously. Um, please get help. That's all I can, that's all I can suggest for you. Uh, okay. So first and foremost, what is a cult movie? Well, it's not necessarily a movie about a cult for a start, and that's just a terrible joke. Uh, so I try to have a crack at this. I mean, the audacity, like, of me trying to define anything—like, who the fuck am I? I'm fuck a fucking gobshite with a podcast, like. But whatever. Um, at least I display enough self-awareness about it, like, or I try to anyway. So, uh, so I just love it when a movie is trying to conceal something. If that makes sense. And on some level. They all are. But most reveal their secrets. Explicitly. So. As I say. Maybe what I'm talking about here. Is not necessarily a cult movie. But that's the kind of movie. That I'm going to be talking about tonight. And then I also heard. um, On the Mark Hermo podcast. I heard this definition of it. That I really really liked. Um, They're not movies we have an opinion on they're movies we have a relationship with and i can really really identify with that one i feel like you know as a nerd you're always trying to you're always trying to find like words of certain characters backstory in graphic novels and how can i get that from pirate bay and read that and um or i heard there's a new star wars novel coming out that explains the backstory of x y and or z and you know that's how it be so i thought then as well for the sake of um for the sake of being thorough, I would read part of part of the definition from Wikipedia because um Jesus Christ, there was a lot a lot going on there in that definition paragraph. So this is the cut down version. A cult film or cult movie, also commonly referred to as a cult classic, is a film that has acquired a cult following. Cult films are known for their dedicated, passionate fan base, which forms an elaborate subculture subculture members of which engage in repeated viewings, dialogue coding and audience participation. Inclusive definitions allow for major studio productions, especially box office bombs, while exclusive definitions focus more on obscure, transgressive films shunned by the mainstream. The difficulty in defining the term and subjectivity of what qualifies as a cult film mirror classifactory disputes about art. The term cult film itself was first used in the 1970s to describe the culture that surrounded underground films and midnight movies, though cult was in common use in film analysis for decades prior to that. Perhaps a very popular movie that doesn't attain mainstream success or commendation might be a a definition that would be worth thinking about um, that gains its... um, that gets fans on, like, home release. So, VHS, obviously, back in the day, DVD, etc. Um, I feel like a cult movie being, uh, for any cult movie, uh, being a little bit fucked up is definitely a good thing. Like, you know, having uh, one of the big three of blood, tits, or monsters, but, you know, preferably all three. And I'm sure we can all think of movies like that. Starship Troopers springs to mind. So, I would also make an argument in favour of we're now living in an age where the biggest directors of our day are the children of the nineteen seventies midnight cinema screenings and going to those types of movie screenings and then growing up through um as the cult culture grew moving into the eighties and then the even younger directors that we're watching these days are um that the even younger directors these days have been sucked in at the teeth of Tarantino. The Tarantite. So Tarantino. Does that need to know or not? I, I I'm no I'm no joke writer. So my point being so who I would offer as the perfect example of this is Edgar Wright. Um I heard Edgar Wright on a podcast recently and uh, he was saying like during lockdown he's just been watching movies non stop. He's putting up pictures of like stacks and stacks of blu rays on his Instagram of like really, really obscure shit. But nothing, like, also some not-so-obscure shit as well. Not, like, hipster at all. Um, Well, I guess if he's not a film hipster, who the fuck is? But the point being that people were in the comments being like, "Uh, this is all pulp fiction, like, this is all just shite, like, this isn't, like, cinema cinema. And he says, he just wrote back to him, fuck you! <laughs> so, you know, the big serious cinema has its time and its day, as we all know, but the cult movies just more fun, more risks to be taken. So I would offer then, as an example of a cult movie, writ large, um, Tenet, if you have seen it. Um, So it's absolutely ludicrous science fiction, huge action sequences, uh, some of the best actors of our time, uh, a tight script, I think, like I don't really understand it, I've got to see it again, I only saw it once, and if you've seen it, then you know, but I just, I I didn't think this fucking pandemic was going to last this fucking long, I thought I would get back, i thought that my second viewing would be in a cinema and i really 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 want my second viewing to be in a cinema because it's like it blew my fucking mind even if i didn't understand it and it's he's a director that like i don't know there's something going on with the architecture in his movies always that i don't understand and it's just way cooler to appreciate those buildings on a big screen so whatever um So yeah, it's like ludicrous science fiction, huge action sequences, some of the best actors, tight script, we think, legendary director, it's got audience hype. Dude, this is just Ghostbusters with a giant budget. So ultimately, cult is kind of becoming a bit more of a throwaway term these days. Marketing companies can strive to to make... uh, cult appeal uh, if mainstream success is not attainable and there's just many more avenues to try and do that now via the internet um vod video on demand so your netflixes your shutters even particularly in this case enable so many more creators so the question i guess has to be there does that cheapen the overall product um, you think about how many you know like z movies there are out there like your bird emics and your um the rooms You know, like that type of filmmaking, the sci-fi movies of this world. Um, so I guess that's a question worth asking. Um, but I do also know, and I'm pretty much convinced that it's the single best time in human history to be a fan of cult movies or even just of cinema in general, because there's just you're there's it's so much easier to gain an appreciation for cinema when there's so 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 many other nerds that enjoy this stuff breaking it down for you on youtube um and uh, also in podcasting um, and then there's a place for like smaller stars um smaller stars of these movies and and the, the crews etc um there's a place for them now an economy for them uh, in the convention culture that we have going on so um you know we're getting to hear more behind the scenes stories and all these types of things that just enhance our our love for our favorite old shit, I guess. And uh, one YouTube channel that I thought I would shout out here is I Am That Robbie. And um, it's I Am That Robbie, all one word. And there's only one B in Robbie or O-B-Y. Um, and he's just, uh, he's just a guy whose opinions have been enjoying digesting recently. And um, they do kind of sync up with mine in some places, but also he's got some wackier ideas too. Uh, so that's one place to start and I'm sure you've already got already got your own favourite podcasts about films etc that you follow mine would include uh, more Kermode the Empire Podcast Empire Magazine Podcast, the Movies That Made Me with Joe Dante um, I'm struggling to think of the name of this new one is it, no it's not Straight to Video um, although there is one called Straight to Video which um, I just, I've just i subscribed to but haven't heard yet so I don't know if i can recommend that one or not um but anyway point being all these nerds are out there breaking down movies in all these different types of ways so and then for every serious guy like i am that robbie actually specifically check out i am that robbie's uh, breakdown of once upon a time and hollywood's needle drops and um like i thought that was a really really good piece of work by him Uh, but then i'm also thinking about in terms of like um everything wrong with how it should have ended um there's a fabulous video on the internet that i really 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 love called um How to Fix Episode 3, I think it's called, and it's a dude who's just basically done, like, these quick 20-minute overviews, but, like, with a storyboard of how he would fix the Star Wars prequels, and he's got some fucking bang-on ideas. He fucking gets it. Now, what credit he'll ever get for that, I don't know, but here's some from me, pal. Great work. Um. So sometimes the way to think about what makes a cult movie for me is what information are you including in one sentence to get your mates to watch? So the perfect examples, I think, for the, for, the, for these movies and specifically for this is, um, the color out of space and Mandy. Let me break that down for you. So if I was to recommend the color out of space to you in one movie, or sorry, in one sentence, it is one movie, fuck's sake. Um, misspoke. That's my bad. So if I had to explain Colorado Space in one sentence, I would say it's Nicolas Cage starring in a movie based on a H.P. Lovecraft story where he runs a llama farm and a meteor crashes on it and they start to go nuts. And it's directed by a guy who hasn't directed a movie since 1996 and has since been fired by his production company due to um, sexual harassment claims. So you're telling me you don't want to watch that on that billing? Come on. And then the other one that I think that is perfect to be broken down this way is Mandy, and it's the best way to describe that is naked in a revenge movie fighting off four evil demons that stole his girlfriend. Directed by uh, visionary director Panos Cosmatos, and I'd leave it at that. If people don't know who Panos Cosmatos is, believe me, after they've seen it, they'll know. And there's so much more to talk about in terms of Mandy and it's just my favorite movie of all time and I think it's also one of the perfect examples of a cult movie and we're gonna discuss that in detail later. Color Out of Space is a really really fucking fun one. I need to watch it again because I was fucking bombed out watching it the first time round. Um, saw that one at the Rio Theatre. Shout out the Rio Theatre. Hopefully you can open back up properly again soon. This, let this fucking torment end. So just to go back over this, uh, so what makes a cult movie, it is entirely, entirely possible that I use the term incorrectly and that I conflate cult status with a good movie or a cool movie, as as is my subjective opinion of them. And so, as with my episodes uh, of this podcast about mixed martial arts and fighting, um, I do definitely have a dog in the race. I am looking for the things that stimulate and excite me as is everybody. And um, probably this means, as I've said before, that this podcast isn't going to be the be-all and end-all academic discussion of what qualifies as a cult film, but it will be, like the very best cult movies, good for the soul. Um, So in in trying to answer the question, so I basically just set out to try and answer the question, what makes a cult movie? And as I say, I've definitely possibly just thought about what is a good movie or a cool movie, in my opinion. But for all of that, we're about to talk about some of the best movies of all time. And you might get some recommendations that are kind of hipster. But they're good fucking recommendations. I wouldn't fucking come on a podcast and recommend use a whole bunch of shite. So what can go into making a cult movie? So I sort of broke it down into different factors because there's no one thing that necessarily nails down... This is going to be a cult classic. This is going to be a cult classic. People are going to want to see this at late night theaters. People are going to queue around the block. This type of stuff. People are going to dress up to go and see it. People are going to be shouting during it. People are going to cheer when a certain character comes on stage. That type of thing. Like, for example, when we went to see Die Hard at the Rio Theatre here on uh, Christmas Eve, no, the day before Christmas Eve at midnight one year, like every single time the black cop, the black cop comes on screen, the place goes insane. That's the kind of shit I'm talking about. I actually never even thought about putting Die Hard anywhere in in this list, although that is almost definitely a cult movie. It got such a cult-like following, and it got ripped off so hard in so many times. I've seen a really bad one one time, where it was... Uh, I believe the plot of this movie was, I have no idea what the name was, but it is the near future, and the president of America was a woman. Former a woman... Um, which was crazy, obviously, for the time. And uh <laughs> she was a former soldier, and then terrorists took over the White House, but she was, like, hiding out in the tunnels and shit that only she knew about. It's the president, and moving around. And, hey-ya, uh, and terrorists, basically. It was a shocker, though. Like, that was very bad. That, obviously, should not have a cult following of any kind. Speaking of not having... A, should not have a following of any kind... One of the things that can make a movie have so yeah so basically what we're going to do now for a while for the rest of this um, while we're on this theme is I'm going to go through a range of different factors that can make a cult movie and we're going to talk about good examples uh, of that factor. So as I say, you'll get some good wrecks along the way. I hope I, I I really feel like or you'll learn something about me in the way because it's going to be a whole bunch of my favourite movies so one thing that can make a movie have a cult following is being absolutely fucking brutal being stone cold fucking shite so think about your bird uh, the room uh, your sharknado movies Um, i would be willing to sit and watch the sharknado movies sometime but i'm definitely not going to do it by myself while well, there's good movies out there going unwatched but if somebody wants to get together and have a bunch of fucking beers they're all on prime so like i would be down for that like a triple header. you know, or do it over two weeks, like do a triple header the first time, watch the first three, and then the next weekend get the next two knocked out. I'd be happy enough to do that. Sounds fucking ridiculous. Um Corey Taylor shows up in one of them. How do I know that? Don't know. Just a nerd. Um think about the type of like sci-fi movies you're like lava ice or camel spiders and then it's just some crossbreed monster or you're like dino croc versus shark the pus you're mega croc versus giant woman those types of things so also obviously harking back to like the invasion of the 50 foot body snatching woman ants from the 50s um being absolutely terrible uh but can get a box office following. So I was thinking about, like, think about Suicide Squad in in this sense. Like, I don't think it actually has much of a cult following, but, like, it's certainly got a reputation because it's so fucking bad. Um. So, you know, a movie can get a reputation like that. And then also, like, one that I have seen then is Battlefield Earth. Oh, my God, has to be one of the worst movies of all time. Dude, the audacity, the fucking cheek of John Travolta to ask Quentin Tarantino to direct that fucking piece of shit. I can't believe that. So, um anyway, check out Battlefield Earth sometime. It is probably one of the most terrible movies you can absolutely ever see. Every single aspect of it is fucking terrible. Travolta plays a nine-foot alien with two nose rings in it. It is bonkers, and, like, not in a good way. I do not say that in a good way. Like, that is not dizzy Rascal bonkers at all. That is, like, fucking eat your own shit bonkers it's like i don't know travolta strange guy don't know him personally obviously um so yeah and then i guess looking like it might be absolutely terrible because it has such a fucking out there concept um might be a subcategory to think about here and the movies that i was thinking of as example here are rubber which if you haven't seen rubber, I really, really suggest you at least check out the trailer, which is about a killer tire that is on the loose and killing people. Literally just a car tire and it like rolls down the road and kills people. Um I've also seen uh the trailer for and I have no idea what this is called now, but about a killer armchair. So it's like the armchair is like eating people that sit on it when nobody else is looking, and then people turn around and like Where'd the kid go? Oh my god. <laughs> you know, so I actually really wanted to watch that one, but I have no idea now what it's called. And I just saw that Shudder are putting out a movie which is the same concept about a pair of jeans that come to life and strangle a bunch of people. Or try to put themselves on people and then maybe possess them. I'm not 100% sure, because it doesn't give too much away in the trailer, which I really liked. So the uh, the inanimate object come to life and turn into a psycho killer... That's a subgenre, I think, of cult movies. Like maybe they don't all get a cult following, but um you know, those are movies that are out there trying things, so maybe check some of those out. So a movie can get sort of a cult following before it even comes out. If it's gonna be the next film in a legendary director's arsenal. So as in, um, already established directors, like these take on the feel of a cult movie because the speculation is just yet so rife beforehand. You know, if you're pouring over every detail in these blogs and who's in it and what do we know about it and has there been any, uh, have any photos leaked from the set or anything. Like, that time was it John Boyega was standing outside the Star Wars set smoking a fig. <laughs> and uh, he was snapped in fucking whatever outfit it was, and it like, gave yeah, something away about the story. I don't know the specifics there, but um, basically we just get all these details and we'll fucking eat it up and what it like basically if you're on instagram these days these types of details will be waved about into your face anyway so you basically can't avoid fucking minor spoilers before you go see any Marquee movies these days anyway so um the point is you just you take all that in for those glorious couple of weeks before it comes out and you're juiced you're excited you can't fucking wait to see how it turns out and like the daydreaming about what it's going to be like in there, like that. This, this is why this is a fucking category, um. And so I wanted to list off some of the directors that I think that this can um, this can apply to. So Tarantino, obviously David Fincher, Edgar Wright, Robert Rodriguez, James Cameron, Sam Mendes, Dennis Villeneuve has cur- has curved <laughs> has carved. Fuck's sake, Dennis Villeneuve has carved fuck how, that's not even hard when you sound it out properly dennis villeneuve has carved out such a niche for himself what a fucking director i have not seen blade runner 2049 but i am excited to i just feel like i need to spend more time trying to understand the moving parts of blade runner one um with regards in a certain aspect with regards to the plot and also then with regards to like all of the things that are going on in the filmmaking because it's not so revered for no reason and i want to try and you know understand those things for myself so that i can sit down look at the movie and be like oh that's why this is effective you know it's just like it's good to nerd out about these things and just you know educate yourself um I believe, then, that Ari Aster and Jordan Peele are well on their way to establishing themselves in this light. I haven't seen Ari Aster's second movie, Midsommar, yet, but I am very excited, too. I just every time I go to look at it, it's like, oh, two and a half hours of horror. Like, fuck, doggy, like, the horror movies, 90 minutes, 90-minute 90 horror. That is what I'm into, so it just feels like a big undertaking, but I will do it. I will fucking do it. I'm not going to be a bitch about it. Jordan Peele, who is not excited for that man's next movie. Um, I think Get Out was more loved than Us, but um, Get Out was playing with more universal themes, and uh, he said Us was a lot more personal. So, who knows what the fuck that means? We're going to talk about Us in a little while. Um, Alejandro Jodorowsky. I've obviously pronouncing that absolutely all wrong, but he's a Chilean director who, like, um, all I know, all of what I know for sure about Jodorowsky is that. His work heavily influenced the scene in The Simpsons when Homer's talking to the space coyote and like when he's off his tits on the Guatemalan insanity Peppers. So if that doesn't get your fucking dick hard for it, then I cannot help you. You're not enough of a nerd and this podcast is probably not for you, okay? Sorry, but like you're just a norm and you don't get to have the nerd crack. Get out. Fucking sick of it. Um and then I'm also sure that back in the day, like older film nerds um, would have felt the same way that I feel about say Dennis Villeneuve. About some of the really big ones like Kubrick, Lynch, Spielberg, I am positive. So um so being the next film in a director's legendary in a legendary director's arsenal and giving us time to pour over details and like obviously what is like how this has been co-opted and writ large by fucking marketing departments is simply interconnected universes that pre-film speculation has sort of been what's the word i want to say here it's like just dominated by superhero movies now like they're superhero and franchise movies these days and they're obviously trying so hard to make every franchise like the one and only um but you know there's good a bunch of good directors listed off there that um that embody that in a good way I feel, and you know, and there, these aren't like hoity-toity directors. Like I'm talking about James Cameron Robert Rodriguez. Um, Sam Mendes directed uh, Skyfall, so you know we're not we're not talking about anything too crazy highfalutin here tonight. Don't get me wrong. Like I think Sam Mendes' best film is still American Beauty. Obviously, it's like I don't know. It's American Beauty is just beautiful. There's no other way to put it. It's just like I don't know. And yes, it's got a Kevin Spacey in it. And yes, he might have torched a 14 year old boy's bomb. What? What do you come to this fucking podcast to be recommended cool shit to watch and listen to, or do you come to this podcast to hear about fucking pedos? Uh, Wrong, just wrong. So another thing that can make a a, that can make or break a cult movie is just being the breakout success for a director that goes on to have like a legendary career in um, mainstream or cult cinema. So I'm thinking about Mandy. So like obviously Panos Cosmatos' first movie was Beyond the Black Rainbow, but like never ever ever heard any buzz about that until i saw mandy and now i'm obviously so excited to watch beyond the black rainbow i just haven't had a chance you know anytime that i'm gonna put beyond the black rainbow on i'll probably just go for a rewatch of mandy i must have seen mandy seven times now maybe more to be honest um and eagerly awaiting my eighth let's put it that way um so yeah so mandy uh reservoir dogs and then seven for david fincher although it was his second film you know it was the first film that he didn't have to absolutely wash his hands of because the studio fucked it up on him looking at you fucking fox looking at fucking alien 3 here don't worry we'll talk about it later so a movie can have a legendary performance and it is despite any other qualities of the movie so just if one actor puts in a fucking shift it doesn't matter what's going on in the rest of the movie. Now, the fact of the matter is here that the three examples that I've listed are um also three absolutely stunning, probably Academy Award-winning movies. But did I or did I not earlier on try and qualify the fact that I, when doing this, was having some trouble, like, separating cult from good and cool. So this is the so, sort of the bleeding edge of this. So I'm just thinking about legendary performances. That's obviously, that might be subjective to me, but I think that a couple of these are, I think certainly the first two of these are, uh, untouchable, like, impeachable, absolutely unimpeachable. Uh, so that's Heath Ledger as the Joker in The Dark Knight. I mean, Rolls off the tongue, pretty simple, right? Okay, if, if I if I asked you to name a legendary performance by a single actor in a movie, despite whatever else happens in the movie, I think you'd still talk about that, right? Um, J.K. Simmons as Andrew Fletcher in Whiplash. Just rewatched that yesterday. It's on my mind. It had been on my mind for a while. What a fucking movie. Any wonder fucking uh, Damien Chazelle's been eating up Hollywood and fucking shitting out Oscars ever since. Although, like, I'm not going to watch fucking La La Land. I don't have any interest in fucking Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling dancing around going, La La. Please, just make something that's going to be more my scene next. Um, And then I was thinking about what else is a legendary performance. Um, And then I thought, why not just fucking shout one out that um, maybe isn't the obvious, because I think that Brad Pitt from this movie might be the obvious, or Ed Norton might be the obvious from this movie. But uh, the Bonham Carter in Fight Club, like Marla Singer is absolutely fucking disgusting like it is crazy and like props to make up on that movie because she looks translucent in it, it is gross, just viscerally affecting and yeah squalid when she's around that house, Brad Pitt's riding her with fucking rubber gloves on oh, unreal so, like, I'm sure there's billions of better options there, and there are, could have been perform great performances in movies where everything else around it is shite that I could have called out. But um my apologies. So we're moving on. So non linear, lo- the fucking hell! I almost tried to say that word non linearly. It's non linear storytelling. So not just going from point A to point B. And my favorite examples of this are Memento obviously absolutely genius it still pickles my mind to this day how anybody could have done that and then you also have to try and get your head around as well that yes the scenes in color are moving backwards chronologically i mean you obviously watch them they're in real time but chronologically they all happen before every scene happens before the previous scene if that makes sense to you you gotta just watch it okay it's like with tenet the most important line in the whole movie i thought was don't try and understand it just feel it. And that's the way she says to him. And then he instantly catches the bullet and the gun the next time. And that's how I just approach that and just try and fucking approach most movies. Certainly on the first watching, it's like, just like, how the fuck does this make me feel? Do I fucking enjoy this? Am I giddy with excitement? Like, I know I can get in cinemas. Um, or is it just not doing anything for me? And Memento fucking does that in such a big way. Like, I, so Tenet did that, yes, but Memento is just one of my favorite movies absolutely of all time. I can't believe that someone was able to execute that idea so perfectly. So, so cool. And Pulp Fiction, obviously, playing with scenes that are out of chronological order and having characters, um, you know, overlapping back and forth in cool ways that you maybe weren't expecting. Um, a movie that I was trying to watch yesterday also was Arrival, and I perhaps isn't the best example of non-linear storytelling, but I think that the time-travelling mechanics of that movie mean that, unfortunately I didn't get to finish watching Arrival yesterday, so um, I do need to go back to the drawing board, I guess, but this is my idea, it's like, obviously the ending of that movie completely recontextualizes the start, and if not just the very start maybe the whole movie, so I need to watch it, and um, so I need to watch it again, right, and get the specifics of what happens in it again, and then I need to watch, once I have those refreshed, I need to have a fucking full watch to see how that's all hinted at from the start. So I'm excited to do that. That's a very, very cool thing to see in movies. So one other thing that can make a movie have occult status almost overnight is if it shows unparalleled, unseen, or just very, very, very high-level technical prowess. And so the movies that I'm thinking about... Uh, for this category are one cut of the dead which um all right fair enough i have yet to see but i'm so so intrigued just because it is uh i think it's like a 50 minute long single cut movie with a movie within a movie where they are making a zombie movie and then real zombies show up and it's like as i say a single shot so what an absolute feat of choreography cinematography um all the things that would have went into making that, I cannot wait to see that. It's just behind a paywall for now. Um I, I'll work it out or pirate bay it. You know, there there are ways and means with the internet these days, but I wanted to shout that out because I'm so excited to see it. The thing, obviously, is like some of the greatest practical special effects that you will ever see. The uh, John Carpenter movie starring Kurt Russell. like really 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 fantastic just fucking gross different monsters and uh, just constantly changing shape and like really fucking gets fucked up and gnarly special effects are off the charts in that movie i particularly like to see werewolf movies to see how they handle the transformations and my favorite werewolf transformation i think that i've ever seen is in a movie called the howling which is really really cool you should check that one out um the void is a good horror movie not a great horror movie Because it doesn't really know what the fuck is going on, it like changes tone really, really, really dramatically for the third act. There's like body gore horror with monsters at certain points in it, but it's also trying to be about a cult, and then it's also trying to be Lovecraftian and be about resurrecting an old god. So I think it's just kind of trying to do so do do too much. The actors aren't absolutely fabulous, but all of the the special effects and the editing in it, it shows that the directors have an incredible. Like, appreciation for all this shit. And I read somewhere that somebody saying it was basically just them making their resume to get hired up into doing bigger and better horror movies. So once I'd read that, then I was like, okay, fair enough. Yeah. And I went back and watched it and was like, enjoyed it so much more the second time. Just thinking, you know, don't take it too seriously and, um, just enjoy the, enjoy the fucking blood and guts spilling around. Um, Suspiria is an old horror movie, which is essentially all about lighting. You can check that one out. Um, that's an old, that's a real hipster one. Um, it's a strange movie, but it has a really, really big cult following as does other, as do other movies by that director, Dario Argento, because I've seen that as a movie of his called Deep Red, which has been playing at the local retro theatre here, the Rio Theatre. I'll keep shouting it out because it's just such a good place. Um, and it is scored by a live prog rock band while it's played. The actual score was done by the band Goblin, and so I believe it's the keyboard player from that um, coming along and doing live keys, but obviously with orchestration as well. So it sounds awesome. I mean... Did I love Suspiria so much that I think that I need to check out all of his other movies? No, but um, we're just talking about what makes a cult movie, and maybe that one will work for you. Um, Suspiria is an old movie about a girl who joins a dance academy, and it turns out to be run by witches. Something like that, I think. Um desperado and the movies of robert rodriguez i think show tactical prowess because they're shot on a shoestring budget but they're all pretty fucking cool and um you know who doesn't love the fight choreography and stuff in desperado Um the uh the gun play the gun foo in terms of the all the stuff hidden in the guitar cases and then the rocket launch and chain gun guitar cases like that's all money in the bank for fucking good action cinema I really enjoyed a horror movie called don't breathe which film which featured a blind villain and then a bunch of its later sequences which when all of the protagonists were locked in his house and then into the basement uh were shot in actual night vision so you can see like People have di- like fully, fully, fully dilated pupils, like their eyes are full black. And, um, it's like, so it's shot in night vision. And I just thought that was a really, really cool touch. One thing that can definitely, definitely lead to a movie getting cult status is onset drama or controversy surrounding it. So good examples here are Cannibal Holocaust. Which I don't recommend you watching, which was one of the uh, notorious uh, video nasties that were banned in the UK, and which was a, which was a list of um, was it fifty two movies? And they were just all completely banned. Cannibal Holocaust is notorious as well for being the first movie that is like found footage. So it wasn't like oh here's a movie. It was like oh we found this footage of these documentarians that went to the Amazon and never returned, and then the dude that made it made the actors sign all these, like, whatever equivalent of non-disclosure NDAs, to not do any press for six months after the movie. So they couldn't be located. They were all off on holidays and doing shit and all. So he gets hauled in on murder charges um, and then eventually the actors come back and say, no, no, we're not murdered. It's all good. But then they just, because the movie's so gross, and nailed them on animal cruelty charges. So apparently there's a couple of scenes in it, which I don't quite remember. Um, my memories of it are different. But uh, where they, like, actually kill animals and... Um, you know, that's just gross. That's not cool, obviously, but um, my overriding memories from Cannibal Holocaust were it was just like it was just like indigenous exploitation, you know, they were just like filming these indigenous people who were just standing there and then sort of the indigenous people indiscriminately started raping and killing them at the end and it just all sort of seemed fucked up and dopey and stupid, but I guess if it was the 80s and you didn't know any better and you were sold it like really, really straight faced as a has found footage, it might have worked better, um, but I just think we can do better than fucking going and upsetting a whole bunch of indigenous Amazonians. Uh, The Human Centipede, because if you paid attention around the release of that movie, um, everyone was aware that that movie was coming out and what it was going to be about long before it came out there was a trailer out early in a long fucking promotional campaign, and we all heard that, you know, the villain like, wouldn't eat with the three people in the human centipede. Like, he stayed in his own trailer at all times when he wasn't acting, and uh, eventually it all boiled over one day, and the Asian fella fucking clocked him. So they got into a fist fight then on set. So, stuff like that. On Enter the Dragon, there's so much trivia and shit to look up behind the scenes. I was reading an article about this recently, it was fascinating like number one Jackie Chan is in it Jackie Chan gets judo chopped by uh, Bruce Lee at one point and uh, says that like while they were filming he, like one time he like had him fall on and he could not have been nicer or more sorry after the take um, there's a whole, just a whole bunch of drama went into making that movie like the producers were just doing that on a wing and a prayer and it changed all the time and there was no script and Bruce Lee wasn't ready and then for it to turn out to be such a cult classic and then for Bruce Lee to have died right before it came out it just feels like such a shame. Then kickstarting, obviously, the kung fu movie revolution, um, and then on set drama. I was thinking as well of the um, the awful Terminator sequel, where we all heard Christian Beale going fucking nuts on set. But at least that was real because the one the rant that came out of Tom Cruise during the pandemic about people not wearing their masks on set and not obeying COVID protocols, and he's like, "I fucking work on this every day," and he's just like, "It's like, is this real?" It's like, you know. Is it above some fucking Hollywood fucking marketing firm to do this, put this audio out, like fake, um, to drum up some support in the fucking failing Mission Impossible franchise? Well, maybe not feeling. I'm sure it's not financially failing, but like, the the, what's the word I'm looking for? Artistically bereft? Is that good? Does that make sense? I don't know. Um, What else can make a movie a cult movie if it leaves a massive cultural legacy? So Star Wars is simply the biggest cult movie of all time. Maybe you don't think Star Wars is a cult movie, but like it is. It's the biggest cult movie of all time. I'm thinking about Alien and how big that franchise has gotten. Big and ridiculous. I see Marvel Comics are now putting out Alien. Um, So is Disney just trying to buy every single intellectual property? Are we eventually going to see, like I have a comic book at home in Ireland called Aliens versus Predator versus Terminator. And, you know, I'd probably watch it. I'd probably watch it if they made it. Um, major cultural legacy. So back to the future's impact, I don't think you be denied. Whether that makes it a culture uh, cult classic or just a fucking great franchise, I don't know. Ghostbusters. Um, here's the thing that I really like in movies. When a movie is location constrained, so there's only like a single location. So good examples of this are The Thing all takes place in that one um antarctic research outpost a uh, saw all takes the first saw movie is a pretty nifty piece of filmmaking it all takes place in the one room of uh, the hateful eight although i don't really think that it's much of a movie all told but if you like this if you like this genre the subgenre um this device go for it train the busan and snowpiercer isolate their characters on trains and um, there's also a super interesting theory uh go to YouTube and search uh Snowpiercer Willy Wonka theory and it's like this guy argues like really 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 well about how Snowpiercer might be an homage to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory whatever the original one was called um Reservoir Dogs basically all takes place in that warehouse, although there are key scenes located outside of it. Clerks all takes place at the quick stop. And Dread all takes place within the one single mega tower block. And I think that that is a cool trope. Um, Movies that inspire uh, fan theories and ambiguity. So um, I'm looking at Inception here, that whole thing about is he still dreaming at the end of the movie? Um, Has the whole thing been a dream? Uh, just like there's a lot, really, really a lot to dig into there, and then you know, the totem spinning at the end, etc. Um, Whiplash. I always just wonder, like, who comes out on top in that movie? Like, does does uh fucking J.K. Simmons win because he inspired him to be great, or does he win because he was great in spite of Schaefer being a fucking complete cunt of a teacher? Um. So it's just a it's a it's a difficult one to to wrap the head around, and then it's like who took the book? Did Simmons' character come and take the book at some point? Did he do that on purpose? There's a bunch of different things to dig into. I think with Whiplash, and uh, obviously, absolutely all superhero cinema ever made ever falls under this bracket. So there's that. And um, then there are B movies, right? Which are movies which are just made and people know that they're not going to be that fucking great. They're not going to be fucking world beaters, but they come out anyway. So great ones here include Franken Hooker, the story of a man who loses the love of his life in an unfortunate robotic lawnmower accident and then builds her, puts her back together from parts of dead hookers. And um, there is one of the most amazing shots in cinema is in this movie. Um, there's a scene where, um, he's in a hotel room with about, 15 hookers all wearing different fucking fluorescent colored fishnet and they all just start exploding like a bunch of them explode and at one point we the camera is mounted on one of the legs as it flies across the room so you get the POV shot of this leg flying across the room it's fucking genius um leviathan leviathan was trying so hard to it's a 1989 movie which interestingly was directed by the director of mandy panas cosmatos's father george Cosmatos. um and it's it, it's not a five-star movie by any stretch it's trying so hard to rip off alien and the abyss and a number of these different things the thing as well definitely trying to rip that one off so um doesn't really do it so well. But the special effects are worth the price of admission, I would say, because um, there's some really, really cool practical monster effects in there, if you like the thing. Um, Hatchet is a really, really dumb horror movie. I recommended it on here recently. It's just it's out of control how fucking silly it is. It's not meant to be taken seriously. Um, I don't feel like Predator was meant to be taken so seriously when it came out. I don't think anybody was like, well, this will win awards and inspire sequels, but, you know, I mean, not that it Won any serious awards, but I'm sure it won some like action movie awards, and is just like one of the most treasured pieces of cult cinema of all time. How can you not love Predator? If you don't love Predator, like you, I promise you, you're the fucking problem, one hundred percent. Um, the faculty is a great one. I know we've mentioned Rodriguez a few times tonight. The faculty is, uh, it's an homage to the thing. I would say in so 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 many ways, but. It does it with a certain amount of panache and gets away with it. You know, if you a loving homage, you know, doesn't feel like a ripoff. So, um, the faculty, great one. If you haven't seen that one, I'll check that out. That's a fabulous show. Um, Lake Placid, I was a big fan of. Haven't seen that in a long time. Kong Skull Island, really, 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 really fucking got it right. Um, talked about it on a podcast here before, so it won't rehash old fucking arguments, but like, shits on Kong Skull Island shits on basically any godzilla movie ever made to to date okay i will watch kong versus godzilla as i watched the trailer live on the podcast a couple of episodes back don't know what episode that is um might be grave diggers in paris not sure but kong skull island is the reason it got everything fucking right i don't think it's that director i think they got somebody else somebody newer but um I just hope it's not going to be the law of diminishing returns for this series. I hope they learn from fucking Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which was horrendous, which was absolutely fucking horrendous. If a stack of Godzilla, King of the Monster DVDs were on fire beside me, I would not piss on them. Absolutely no way. Wouldn't even give them it. It would just be like, this is better. This is better for the environment. Um, but Kong Skull Island got it fucking right. And um it's the only reason that I'm excited for Kong Skull Island. And uh, although actually, I was reading a little tidbit there the other day that that first battle in the water where Kong is uh, on the aircraft car- carrier and, Con- and Godzilla comes up from underneath, apparently that scene's going to be, that fight scene's going to be 18 minutes long. And it's like, yes, thank you. Now, get all these humans out of this movie and then we can talk. Because um, I nearly think that like Kong versus Godzilla should be like a borderline <laughs> silent movie where we're like, just trying to interpret, like, I mean, I guess we'd need Andy Circus to play both roles, but like, who wouldn't fucking watch that? Who wouldn't watch it? And, you know, you could have some, like, maybe wordless humans, like the natives on the Kong's Island. Um, you know, I think it could be done. And then Godzilla maybe has children, so you can see how he slash she interacts with it, with them. And so you get a kind of humanizing effect there. I don't know. I might be talking shit there, but maybe that's a script that I need to write. Uh, the Meg was a fabulous B-movie, I mean, nobody expected uh, Jason Statham versus Megalodon, I'm sure, to win any Academy Awards, but I had a great time at the cinema watching it, there is some great hard man acting from Jason Statham in it, like there's a bit where, so at the start, he's like a deep sea rescue diver, and uh, but he loses a friend. And then so he has to go and see if somebody wants the Megalodon shows up and he's just sitting there for a second before he sends the submarine down to dive. And you just you can tell by the look on his face, he's just like, oh, but what about all my pain? <laughs> it's just like it was such a hard man look and then it just shakes it off. It's like, no, nah. fucking dive straight down to save someone from a Megalodon. It's a fucking nifty bit of acting. You've got to check it out. And then one of the greatest of all time, Starship Troopers, like Starship Troopers is kind of a sensitive meditation on fascism and othering and the psychological concept of the other, that is, and you know, but there's tits and aliens fucking exploding and blood and fucking knives and I couldn't love Starship Troopers anymore, it's the ultimate little boys movie and um I'm so, I'll be forever grateful to my grandad Hughes showing me that as a youngster now granted he taped it off the TV and gave me the cassette and had it set fast forwarded past all the tits but, you know, I was bound to work it out, I was bound to work it out so whether that was done on purpose or not <laughs> who knows, but um either way what a fucking classic second one's brutal third one is like a z it's like a, a z movie that's worth watching well, it's not really a z movie it's like a c movie um but the third one fuck me there's a lot of bad acting a lot of bad hokey religious forced allegories trying to happen like they're trying to make it work and it's like this is starship troopers stop <laughs> um the first one absolutely untouchable on my mind and In my mind, and as I say, is kind of a sensitive meditation on fascism when you fucking peel back some of the layers. So, have a fucking harder think about these movies, okay? Don't just fucking be like, oh, that's a fucking big gun, gun, go, bang, fucking alien blow up movie. Like, this is a fucking, there's stuff going on there. So, think about it. Also, there's a bunch of white people living in Argentina. It's just ridiculous. Also, uh, whatever the gingerbread is dying. Wow, it's the most perfect makeup I've ever seen on anyone. It's about two inches off her face. It's troweled on. <laughs> uh, but, like, you know what I mean? These movies aren't fucking perfect. Their imperfections endear them to us even more. So, um, what can make a movie have a cult following? It being a short film. So, like, fan films online. So, ones that I'm particularly thinking of are Darth Maul Apprentice. Very good movie, which is basically a silent Darth Maul uh, killing about eight different Jedi. And uh, that's it. That's Lord's Eight. That's it in 20 minutes and you'll love it. And then there's Boba Fett, a thousand yard star, thousand yard stir, or maybe it's a thousand parsec stir. Can't remember, but it's basically Boba Fett playing Clint Eastwood from the start of for a few dollars more and uh, just walking up to a table full of lads and like, know they're playing cards and like they all go to draw their guns and they're all dead before they get their guns out basically and that's it but it's like 10 minutes long it's like there's loads of music and like atmosphere and him looking crafty in his helmet before he gets to the table so check that one out big time one of the things that can make a movie have a cult following is its use of music and so movies that i submit as um sort of evidence for this are for a few dollars more and how the villain has the um the pocket watch where the time counts down so the mexican standoff can then turn into a proper shooting battle that's obviously an awesome plot device and um all john carpenter because i'm just fascinated by how john carpenter writes all of his own music and it's all on synthesizers and it's just like he's scoring it and he's directing it. And it seems like this is smart. This That seems like a smart thing to do. Lord of the Rings, although I don't... like, They've certainly got a cult following. Not exactly independent movies. But like how much of those movies is told through the fucking music. And Star Wars as well. John Williams, absolutely, possibly the best thing about those movies. Um, really, really, really fabulous. I really, really love John Williams' uh, theme for Ray. Um, from the sequel, it's just called The Scavenger, it's got, it's got a little, there's a little riff in it at points that are just really, really, really tasty, and it's um, just savage, and then use of music, the ultimate use of music in a film I thought was Baby Driver, like, have you noticed, like, the editing on that movie must have been insane, everything is so in sync, like, the the windshield wipers in the car move to the beat of the drums in the songs, people close bonnets to the beat of the songs, you know, it's like everything that happens diegetically in the movie is to the beat of the song it's like it's the ultimate it is crazy and then it has that meta editing where he makes his own little bits of music like there's just layers upon layers in Edgar Wright's cinema sometimes and especially in Baby Driver I'm a huge fucking fan of that and it just must have been a nightmare to edit like I just it, it, it hurts my fucking brain even thinking about it one of the things that can make A cult movie, a cult movie is uh, when actors take out later in their career and just stop giving a fuck. And I would submit Nicolas Cage and Daniel Radcliffe as evidence of this. So, um, Nick Cage, I mean, you either know or you don't know. So, uh, he's the star of my favorite movie of all time, Mandy, which we're going to talk about in detail after this. Um, and then also Daniel Radcliffe, he's been making some interesting cinema, Guns Kimbo, which is, um, certainly, certainly worth a watch. Um, it's, uh, the banana is one where he's like in a pair of slippers and he has two Uzis bolted onto his hands and he gets thrown into this like real life video game where you get points for killing certain people. And um, he's also made a movie called Horns where he grows horns like the devil. I have it saved in my watch list. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm very much looking forward to. And then he made a movie called Imperium. So this is Harry Potter and Imperium is him going undercover as a neo Nazi for the FBI. And uh, I just think that that movie gets more prescient by the day because we're just seeing more and more and more lunatic terrorism in America and America getting more and more highly charged. And it's just like, well, look, this is what happens when they have like a certain level of brains as well. So kind of a scary movie to watch in that sense. But also you want to see Harry Potter as a Nazi. So here we are. Um And Bruce Willis and Robert De Niro have a piss per recent track record. But I'd be like, I don't want to do the research for myself, but I bet you there's one or two little gems in there if you hooked around for long enough. Um, a cult movie can also take the form of the legacy sequel, such as Bill and Ted Face the Music, Halloween Kills, Blade Runner 2049, or Zoolander 2. I heard Zoolander 2 was absolutely shite, though. But, like, sort of that sequel that comes out you know, 20, 30 years down the line. Actually, the best legacy sequel I've ever seen is and 2. I don't think that that movie had any right to be as good as it was, and I was like, fuck, who cares? Like, how are any of these characters still alive? But um, I actually thought it was really, really, really great. I would love to see that one again, actually. That's a fucking great reminder for myself. Um. Cult movies are usually universally ignored by the Academy, so look at Lord of the Rings didn't get a nomination until Return of the King, and then they basically had to win that one just on fucking general principle. And then I would also submit Arrival as the exception that proves the rule, um, but Arrival is using things like time travel and aliens, these sort of... Uh, um, these linchpins of cult cinema, but in a very, very, very mature and sensitive way, and having Amy Adams, who's like the most mature, sensible uh, actress in Hollywood... Um, presenting it all, and it has like a lot of heart. It's incredibly emotional when you break it down. Um, and it won best picture, but I would just have to call that the exception that proves the rule, not uh, not anything else. And I'm also prepared to accept that I might be using the exception that proves the rule wrong. I don't 100% know, but uh, I'll just bring I'll just I'll give you that in anyway. The one man show, and I've only got one movie in here as evidence of this. And this is Kung Fury, and this is the one dude, he's the lead, st- he's the main star, he's the director, I think he did all the special effects, I believe he made a bunch of the music as well. Kung Fury may also be the perfect example of a cult movie, like just start to finish non-stop. It ticks so many of these boxes, um, being absolutely terrible, no I wouldn't say that much, but it certainly is very very cheesy and doesn't take itself seriously. Um, it's a breakout success. There's incredible technical prowess going on in here in terms of special effects. Big, big, big time. Cultural legacy. I would say it was part of kickstarting the synthwave revolution. I would definitely, definitely say that. Um, it's a 100% a B-movie. It's a short. It's got incredible music. And uh, it was a one-man show in the sense of like that one dude got the Kickstarter together and just produced this and didn't stop until he'd done it by himself and there's talk of it being turned into a full-length movie with schwarzenegger signed on but um doesn't seem to be a whole lot of movement on that so i just want to double down and recommend to you that you watch kung fury i mean it has to be on youtube it's usually on netflix as well um it's a 30 minute short movie about uh, uh i think he's a cop in miami who um one night was both struck by lightning and bitten by a cobra at the same time, so he became the legendary Kung Fury, and he has to go back in time to defeat Hitler. So, awesome, awesome, awesome fucking film. you got to see it. Um, I wanted to also make a note of how, uh, in modern times, movies can adopt the aesthetics of a cult movie, and just, like, adopt the aesthetics of it, and whether the quality of the movie or the content of the movie lives up to that, you know, we might never know. So I'm thinking specifically of movies on Shudder here, which seem to be all like remixes of older movies. And I'm not I'm not against like that kind of Tarantino magpie approach. My favorite band, the Wild Hearts, take that approach to their music, I would say, um, picking and choosing what they want. But it's just like, you know, movies these days do need marketing campaigns and it's so it's like I'm thinking about Blood Machines and Summer of Eighty Four specifically on Shudder. Two movies that I haven't seen but I've they're aggressive marketing. I've seen the I've seen the the posters and I've seen I've heard the soundtrack in the case of Blood Machines because it's by Carpenter Brute, who is my favourite synthwave artist of all time. Um, so it's got you know so it's bringing in a synthwave soundtrack. So synthwave is that throwback genre to like the eighties movie soundtracks and game soundtracks. Um, do check out some Carpenter Brute. Uh, Carpenter Brute live is absolutely fabulous, and also Trilogy is a great album. Um, movies can get cult followings because they have alternate versions and this might be for different reasons. Um, so Blade Runner was the subject of a whole bunch of studio interference. So there are versions with narration, without narration, with good narration, without, narration, without, narration, without good narration. I just... I don't even know what all the versions are. I'm just really struggling to get my head around the one that is on Netflix right now, which is the final cut. Apparently, if you watch it with the voiceover, you do get a little bit more filled in for you. So I am interested in seeing that next. One of my favourite alternate versions of all time is the uh, assembly cut of Alien 3. So David Fincher refused to have anything to do with the theatrical release that they put out. That they cut together and put out for him because they interfered with the shooting so much. So, it's kind of a shit show, the, uh, the one that was released, but the alternate version does at least make a lot more logical sense. And, um, I just think it's a lot, is a lot better of a movie and makes Alien 3 basically worth watching. You know, like, it had a certain aesthetic. It's very, 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 very fucking grim. It's very bleak. It's like, there was no Marines having the crack in this movie. There was no fucking hoorah shit or like, there wasn't much like, Blowing up aliens with pulse rifles, or there was—I don't think there's any flamethrowers in it. It's like so fucking bleak, and everybody's got lice in it, and it's fucking. She shades her head. oh it's like really, really, really fucking dystopian. And whether or not that was the perfect sequel to Aliens, I don't know. I would also encourage you to seek out if you're a major fan of Alien Three, like I am. Seek out William Gibson. Uh, the William Gibson script that they wrote which is much more action packed has been made into a graphic novel now and you can get that that's very good Um, check that out Um, alternate versions as well I I particularly like the Watchmen Ultimate Edition which uh, brings it up to like 3 hours 20 minutes long so there's all the extended the extra footage that makes up the director's cut so and what Snyder said there was like he didn't really want to add anything to it he just wanted to let, let things breathe a bit more so a lot of that is just like you'll see the blood splatter up against the wall and then you'll watch it trickle down for like three four extra seconds just so you know that there was blood trickling down the wall and it's like oh but these are supposed to be superheroes so it's like reinforcing that darkness so i really 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 love that then the ultimate edition added in the ah the name of it escapes me but within and when you're reading the Watchmen comic there also it's intercut with this story about pirates which is like the fiction that they would be reading within their universe so watchmen are like the most fucked up version of what alan moore thought a real superhero in our world would be and then so the 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 fiction that they're reading is like this horrible pirate cannibal story so it's like showing that um so that's just good filmmaking and then it's just also cool to see more and more of your your favorite filmmakers ideas thrown in there so it's a a bit of a watch but um watch is there a joke in there i don't know uh mad max chrome and logan black and white and then obviously now justice league gray i believe parasite is also has a black and white edition and the black and white edition i think is particularly interesting and um i will report back to you in more detail when i have actually seen any of those cuts because it's not like you can every so often they'll come to the rio but i haven't made it out to any of them and um it's not like you can illegally stream alternate versions of movies i don't think but um sometime we'll get those watched and uh, we'll make comments on them true romance was a script by quentin tarantino which was completely non-linear storytelling then it was passed off to another director he wasn't going to direct this movie himself it was a studio picture and then he decided that it would make a better movie if it was put back into chronological order but i believe then on the dvd there is also the option to watch it uh, out of chronological order as tarantino intended to that end, also, um, Memento can be watched in forward, chron- in chronological order, on the DVD also. So uh, physical media uh, you know, has its place, has its place. Uh, Donnie Darko, I thought, had a great director's cut, which uh, made everything seem a bit more clear and was sort of like less weird and, le- um, I don't know, I just, I really enjoyed it. I thought Donnie Darko was a great one. Uh, a movie that can, a, a factor that can make a movie, a cult movie, is if it is deeply, deeply allegorical, so such as the Matrix and all of that kind of Jesus symbol, uh Jesus and the one, the Messiah, all of that kind of um symbolism going on there. And then also about human beings trapped up and being trapped up in multiple different systems of control then in the second and third. And there's there's really quite a lot going on in the Matrix movies as well. It's pretty cool. And then there's some really, really nifty filmmaking happening as well. The Matrix is really, really sick. And I really also enjoyed the Animatrix. If you never saw those, those are worth checking out. Um, Kill Bill Kill Bill kind of sparked an interest, re sparked an interest in films in me a few years back when I read that Tarantino said that it was his most personal film. I was like, what this crazy fucking revenge kung fu ass kick adventure is your most personal film? It's like you're trying to express your most personal ideas and that's, that sort of felt very strange and then it's like, so every time I watch it now I try and think like what the fuck could he possibly been trying, possibly have been trying to express with this and it seems like maybe it's about a breakup, or maybe it's about going through all of his old relationships. Um, it's just, uh, I don't know. We could theorize about that one for days. Parasite is obviously deeply allegorical about the, uh, class and how different classes interact. Us, there's obviously something going on under the hood of us. I just, I, I need to delve so much more deeply into that movie. Hereditary was the same thing. I'm not quite sure. I'm not even. I'm not qualified to break down exactly what's going on there, or what the the director is actually trying to express. Not like just the times. Not the not the story he's trying to tell. Not the pictures he's trying to show you. But like, what is he trying to express as an artist through this movie? And that's when we're starting to get really deep. And that's when this podcast will start to fall apart. So we'll crack on. Something that can make a movie cult cult classic straight away is simply being horrifying straight off the bat remember i said how blood tits and uh, monsters help well listen to these fucking gems alien the first one nobody had seen shit like that before the human centipede that's fucking gross obviously so's the second one actually really gross the second one a baby gets killed in the second one in one of the most hilarious (laughs) it's hilarious like you probably don't think that you're gonna laugh at a baby being killed but you will (laughs) you <laughs> will. Uh, the Hills of Eyes, the original, is, um, fucking pretty grim. Uh, and certainly would have been much more grim back in those days. Cannibal Holocaust falls in here as well. Pet Cemetery is kind of haunting. Like, there's a lot of unsettling imagery in there. And the fact that the kid gets wiped out so fucking, so callously by that fucking truck, it just seems so unnecessary. Um, Strange Days is this, this movie. Like, I, it's like, the People getting virtually raped Oh, I don't know it's the science fiction in it is a bit crazy but it's so horrifying it left a very 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 real impression on me Uncut James is horrifying in its own way it's just like how the fuck can this guy not get out of his own way like I'm gonna have an anxiety attack on his behalf a lot of people felt like that movie was just trying to give them an anxiety attack but I think that they certainly desired to create that kind of anxious effect and so I don't think that you can deny then that that is effective filmmaking and then Battle Royale which is about a bunch of schoolchildren being taken to an island and being given different weapons and have to fight each other to the death ripped off wholesale in the Hunger Games but whatever so yeah being horrifying usually is a great step on the way to becoming a cult movie and um, then there is the genre mash. So I am a sucker for a good genre mash-up. If you just tell me, it's like, oh, it's a Western in space. So your Star Wars, your Firefly, I'm like, fucking brilliant. Um, but let's go through a couple of ones that I'm excited about here at the moment. Um, Army of the Dead, Zack Snyder's new movie is supposed to be a heist movie set in Vegas. And uh, there's zombies everywhere, post-zombie apocalypse. So I'm super excited to see that. I'm curious as to why people need to pull off a heist in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. ...as we have been sucking this dick pretty hard already. I think you just all know that I'm a pretty big Zack Snyder fan. I'm just excited. The Mandalorian, I thought, really, really, really took the Western in space to new levels. And especially with Episode 5 of Season 2, uh, with the Ahsoka Tano episode... ...then mashing in, making that basically a samurai movie for for an episode... Awesome, that was so cool. Anna and the Apocalypse is a zombie Christmas musical, so there's three different genres getting mashed up there at once. Is it as cool as the premise sounds? No, but I guess it's kind of a lofty ideal to live up to. It's worth checking out. From Dusk Till Dawn is like a cool slick crime caper until absolutely all hell breaks loose about a third of the way into it and vampires show up. Uh Zombieland is zombie comedy. Avengers endgame is like superhero but also time travel movies, so we're playing with a whole bunch of different movie mechanics all at once. Bone Tomahawk is a horror set in the Wild West, which I think we should see more of. I um I would quite like to do maybe there's a scripted podcast in there that I could write, we'll see. And um I know it's a TV show also, but um Westworld mashed up sci-fi and uh the wild west in a really really fantastic ways and that episode where they followed around the ghost nation the like indigenous people of Westworld Wow that was sensational then what can get a movie uh, a movie can get cult status even if it absolutely never happened I draw your attention to Jodorowsky's attempt to make a uh, dune in the 70s you can look up now a fabulous documentary about that called Jodorowsky's June and like he had Pink Floyd signed on to do the music Salvador Dali was gonna play the villain um, Orson Welles was going to be in it uh, His own son had been training in martial arts For like three years Just to play Paul Atreides it, Chris Foss, who's a legendary sci-fi artist, did all the, uh, did a bunch of the concept art. H.R. Geiger, who designed the Xenomorph from Alien, was signed on to, to, um, to do a bunch of the character design as well. This movie had absolutely everything going for it. And it failed in the end over something like five million dollars worth of cash. And then, so producers would go on to make Alien and uh, Joe Dorowski would write and then with Mobius, another concept art artist from the movie, would write the Inca legendary sci-fi comic in the 80s, so this movie's influence even though it never came out its influence is absolutely everywhere because there was so much concept art created and released for it and it just seems like a shame that we didn't get to see it but hopefully some cult fucking movie nerd will come along and animate those old storyboards and that old concept art and we'll get a look at what it might have been Um, and then I'm not sure if these two are the same we were supposed to see Nicolas Cage as Superman in the late 90s and Kevin Smith was supposed to direct a big budget superhero movie and I'm not sure if it was supposed to be the Nick Cage Superman but I think that it might be we probably got robbed on that front. Probably got really, really, really badly robbed. Yeah, so there you go. So there's a whole bunch of different ways that movies can become cult classics. And there's a whole bunch of examples of each. So, um, enjoy those. Check some of those out. Keep checking back in the Punkadelic podcast. Try and recommend a bunch of stuff every week. Some weeks it's songs. Some weeks it's like movies. Some weeks we'll be talking to all music. Some weeks we'll be talking all movies. I'm a total fucking complete and utter nerd, as you might have picked out from, like, this episode is particularly nerdy, I guess. You know, so what? That's what fucking makes me a fucking half-decent fucking podcaster. So, let's just keep going here. So, I wanted to talk about, and I know that this is going to be a fucking long episode. I know I've been talking for fucking ever about this shit. But I want to try and do justice to this. So, look, Mandy is absolutely my favorite movie of all time, okay? It is operating on a number of different levels i think that there are many many levels that i have yet to even delve into it into but in terms of its aesthetics its plot but really more the aesthetics the feel the texture of the movie it's just it's very very hard for me to put my finger on exactly why i like it so much but it's got everything going for it so let me just move through these categories and see how many of these that mandy hits so being absolutely terrible well no, absolutely not. It's a very, very, very good movie that is, um serves all of its themes and characters very, very, very well. There's some sensational filmmaking and cinematography going on. There's trickery going on. There's something happening with the grain of the film. The music should absolutely have been nominated for an Academy Award. It is, it is a disgrace that it wasn't. I believe that Johan Johansson was certainly nominated but didn't win, or maybe won, not sure, for Arrival, he made the music in that movie, which is so haunting and so important to that movie because um so much of that movie is about sound and, like, listening to the aliens and communications and getting things across. And then in Mandy, because it came out on Netflix or something at the same time as being released in the cinemas, it was... like, it couldn't get into the Oscars. And Johan Johansson died after creating the Mandy soundtrack. So... It's just so sad. It seems like that man definitely deserved it. Um, so definitely don't think that you can tell say that is terrible by any stretch. It's it's sort of an emerging legendary director's arsenal. Yes, it's a breakout success. It has a legendary performance in what Nicolas Cage does in this movie. Um also the villain is absolutely incredible. Um the um it's awesome, awesome acting all around. Nicholas Cage doing some wordless screaming at points, but like really, really selling it with his eyes in a scene where he's blindfolded in this movie or gagged, excuse me, and just really, really great performance. Obviously, you know, his girl, it's a revenge movie after these fucking villains take his girlfriend and, you know, he is devastated after it happens and you really, really feel it. Um, it is linear storytelling, I will say. Um, technical prowess, yes, because of things happening in special effects. It cuts across the animation two or three times really notably. It makes these really, really, really cool skies. These sci-fi fucking infinite world skies. are really crazy. Throughout the movie just gives it that really unsettling air that these guys are living somewhere that is just otherworldly and fucked up and this might all happen. Um. Was there onset drama? I don't believe so. Does it have a cultural legacy? Well, loads of people are huge, huge fans of this movie. And there was a drive after the movie. But then, I don't know if this makes it cult, because this was kind of started and pushed by the production company for people to recreate the, the famous Nick Cage screaming in his underwear scene and uh, sending their best attempts. But every so often you'll see somebody else going for it and you'll see, there's a lot of like t-shirts and merch coming out about Mandy as well so um it certainly has a, a, a certain cultural legacy and I feel like that will be really, really, really cemented when Panos Cosmitos makes his next movie which I hope will be even more accomplished and get even more acclaim um, and shine more of, a, more of a light on Mandy. Um, it's not location constrained, um, there are a bunch of fan theories and ambiguity that we'll get to. It's certainly a B-movie um, it's not a short its music is absolutely incredible. It is the reason, part of the reason that I have when actors take out late in their career and don't give a fuck anymore on this list. Um, it was ignored by the Academy. It's adopted the aesthetics of cult because there are like title cards in the middle of the movie that could all be metal album covers. I'm convinced, but I, again don't. I feel like it's totally organic. I don't feel like it. It doesn't feel like a rip off. It feels like homage. And um, there's no alternative version. Thankfully, there's not even a director's commentary. Believe me, I wanted to rent the Blu-ray just to hear the director's commentary on this one. That's how much I love this movie. Um it, There's definitely allegories happening here. There's things happening on different levels. It's sort of implied, but never really said out loud that Mandy was f- formerly f- in an abusive relationship, and it's just like... Sort of told through, um, Mandy's acting. Um, I'm not sure what that actress's name is, but it, that's what, like, that is such a good performance because of that. Then, um, it's certainly horrifying in places. The scene where they take Mandy, uh, the scene where they kill Mandy. The, so it's not horrifying, but then it's so jarring when the Cheddar Goblin scene comes on. And once you've seen it, you'll understand it's so mad. It's, is it a genre mash? I guess maybe. It's kind of a love story, kind of a revenge movie. It's a love story until the halfway mark and then it's a revenge story. And it's not, it never happened because it did happen. But, um, I just, I cannot be effusive enough about how much I love the movie. I don't want to tell you every single solitary detail about it, but like, if you like comic books and heavy metal and uh, 1980s retro, um, aesthetics of the Stranger Things and you like synth wave music, um, you like a bunch of stuff that's cool and that I talk about on this podcast, you will fucking love this movie. So let's take a very, very quick look at some of the fan theories for people that have seen it. I haven't even read these yet. I just, so this is gonna fucking blow my fucking mind right now. Okay. The film was the book Mandy was reading. Oh, so she's reading a book in the film. Huh. And that's from the post credits scene. The entire movie was a drug induced fever dream. Yeah, well, that's the pretty prominent drug use in the film. Um, the film is Lovecraftian and does indeed take place in two different worlds. What? transcendence in briefly into the cosmic beyond hmm and that's uh this theory sighting beyond the black rainbow so clearly i'll have to watch panos's other movie and try to come back to these theories but there you go manny a movie with a really really a lot to dig into but also does have scenes of nicholas cage screaming Nicolas cage forming himself a big ridiculous knife sword and um there is also a chainsaw on chainsaw fight at one point in it so Can I help you out any more here? There's four fucking evil biker demons, one of whom takes a bunch of coke in it. There is gratuitous LSD use. There is a tiger in it. It is sick. I cannot explain that to you enough. So look, I realise I have talked for a very long time about cult movies today. I don't know who's still listening, but whoever is, you fucking hang around because when I come back, it's going to be time for a new segment and the Watch Wallopers. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's now time for the most popular show in Ireland, India, Kenya and Argentina. It's... Is Prince Philip dead yet? Dead, 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 dead. And let's see, let's go to the board. Is Prince Philip... The imperialist pig, symbol of absolute scum, the royal family of England, money-grabbing pricks. Is he still alive or is he finally dead? So let's go to the board and ask the question, is Prince Philip dead yet? No! Oh, absolute and complete and utter and total devastation. Oh well, folks. Well, that's the game we're here to play. Tune in next week for more. Is Prince Philip dead yet? Dead! And now it's time for the best segment in podcast and it's Walloper Watch. They live in your community. Get the fuck out. They comment on your posts. Oh, their parents feel them. Fucking disgraceful. They are wallopers. Have a fucking with yourself. So I wanted to do a very, very brief um, breakdown and a recap for anybody that's maybe new to the podcast that doesn't know what Walloper Watch is or what a walloper is. It's just the close of the show every week we do. uh, We do a watch out for wallopers and it's people that are commenting asinine stuff online. People that are just writing absolutely pointless stuff that does not serve us as a species. It's just simply... And, like, the ephemeral nature of social media, I mean, like, we should all just give it up, I am sure. But, like, the people that get involved with stuff, like, they're the worst. Like, they're the ones that are keeping this whole fucking shit show going, Okay. Don't engage. That's my fucking golden rule on social media, okay? Um, Tell artists you like their work underneath their Instagram. I'm big into doing that. But apart from that, don't engage with shit, okay? Because it's just fucking hotter and you're just making yourself a walloper. It doesn't matter. Let's get into this. So, straight up, we have one here and... So it's posted into one of my favorite groups on Facebook. That's a lot of words for paedophile, which is just people that dedicate their lives to writing Facebook posts about paedophilia. So very, very, very strange. What the fuck would drive someone to fucking pour amounts of their time into this? So here's one here. It's a picture of a tweet. And whether or not this is genuine or not, somebody took the time. To type this out, and I had to fucking see it, so y'all have to fucking hear it, okay? So this is from—it's got a picture of like a young girl, um, in the profile picture. It's XOXO Nick Heart, emoji. Sorry, Rose emoji, is her um, is her Twitter name, <laughs> and it says, uh, I mean, this is probably fake, but like still, when I breastfed my son, I used to masturbate at the same time. The way he sucked my nipples gave me the best <laughs> orgasms. <laughs> Can't even get through reading that. Like, that is fucking ridiculous. So, whether or not that is a true true Bill su- tweet that some girl wrote, or whether or not that, that is totally fake, either way, there's walloping being committed. Like, don't be writing that. Like, what are you doing? Fucking get a life. Then this, oh, fuck me, two in a row from that's a lot of words for pedophile. A pedophile. Pedophile is the American version. So. This is, so someone's posted in here and like they're like saying, you know, they po- posted in without a comment. So basically they're saying, you know, watch out for this type of stuff. But this is so, so unintentionally fucking funny. Like, so it's a post from Craigslist and uh, the post is called Need Girl Scout Cookies from a Grown Up. I would like to buy five thin mints, five tiger longs, two foils, one lemon chalet creams. I am not allowed within 300 yards of a minor, so I'll have to buy the cookies from an adult. I will eat you, I will meet you wherever necessary. And it's just like... <laughs> so, like, what the fuck is going on? If the logic of that, if that's true, like, what is this? So, like, the guy just wants Girl Scout cookies so much, but can't buy them off actual Girl Scouts, so he needs to go and get a grown-up to pick them up for him. Like... What a fucking walloper. Just fucking get different biscuits, you fucking clown. What a fucking walloper. Um, what's this? Uh, we've got a link here. Vancouver arts curators, indigenous ancestry claims panned as pretendian. So, yeah, there's just another fucking white bitch working in fucking indigenous affairs here in fucking Canada. And um, her not fucking, her just faking the whole lot. Fucking lying bitch. Where is it? Come on, there's got to be a fucking declined to be interviewed, but referred to her blog where she writes a recent review of historical sources that show no documentation to corroborate family claims to indigenous ancestry. She, ha- she has amended her bio from mixed indigenous settler to settler and told post-media she is continuing to learn. So, <laughs> like, fucking give them their fucking money back, you fucking bitch. What are you fucking doing? You think that you might have heard a thing or two about fucking white people taking shit off native people. Are <laughs> you fucking joking me? Walloping at a very, very, very advanced level there. That's it, you know. It's not just clowns on the book. Like, the walloping can happen in everyday real life. So, here's <laughs> exhibit A on that front as well. So, this is a post by Yoga Daily Poses on Instagram, okay? So, it's a woman doing a headstand um, and her knees are parallel to the floor and then the legs are curled back and the toes are pointed. I have no idea what that move is called. But, um you know looks hard she's down there on her forearms and head and um but super unnecessarily right she is somehow wearing a top whereby it's got a slit so that her tits can come out and then there's a black baby like i'm pretty sure she's not black i don't know it could be the lighting in this photo but there's a black baby sucking on her nipple (laughs) it's like that seems like literally the worst time to feed a baby and also like That top was designed for this photo, wasn't it? Like, be honest. Come on, you fucking walloper. And the apartment's typical fucking yoga walloper houseplants everywhere and a fake fucking birdcage. Give me a fucking break! Come on, walloping. Um. Then here's another example of walloping happen out in the fucking wild. So this isn't even like online shit. This is again. So you can look out for it in your community. Okay. Let me know if you hear of it, if you hear of any, and I'll get it called out. We're always watching. It's fucking not just my responsibility. So this is. I'm guessing an American lad, right? Um. In a store, and it's a picture picture of the back of his top, and uh, this is what the top says. Uh, it's a T-shirt. Uh, if I charge follow me. If I retreat, kill me. If I die, avenge me. Like, fuck me, what are you fucking doing? (laughs) Get out of here, you fucking clump. Why the fuck would you feel the need to have that on your fucking person? Unless it's like a fucking completely offhand, secondhand purchase. You were just like, well, I just needed a t-shirt one time. It was in a thrift store. It was $1, like, whatever. But like, Seems like probably, like, I'm sensing, so he's got, I can see glasses pushed up on his head here. As I say, I'm looking at him from the back, but I'm imagining those are wraparound sunglasses and this guy is like a police officer or some sort. Something. Anyway, fucking walloper. And then. Here's just like one of the worst takes on the internet. Like, I can't even believe I had to fucking pop my eyes through reading this the other day. I'm honestly annoyed. I'm kind of wondering, kind of sue this cunt in any way, shape, or form. Lawyers, please contact me. Punkadelicpodcast at gmail.com. Lawyers, contact me about whether or not I can get any loot out of this. So, um, this is a story uh, called Steve Irwin's Family Rescues Nine, Ninety Thousandth Animals. Ninety Thousand. Right, okay. Steve Irwin's family rescues 90,000 animals amid Australian wildfires. Okay? Absolutely tip-top headline. Call me anybody that would have anything fucking negative to say about this or try and interject themselves into this in a contrarian way. Is there? Oh my goodness, no. Here, top comment. <clears throat> what bullshit. The Irwin family stopped being of any relevance to wildlife when Steve died. Terry is a grub. I have marked this story as fake news. Dude, I'll fucking fight you. Like, can you fight fucking knives? That's my only fucking question for you, because you are going to fucking need to be able to when I get my fucking hands on you. Like, number one, how fucking dare you? Like, people, you just don't invoke the name of fucking Steve Irwin like that. That's fucking disgraceful. And to say that his wife's not a fucking saint, like, how dare you also? I don't know them personally, but still. And then, they're just, the real, real thing that pushed it over the edge there, like, up to that, it's like, okay, maybe maybe he's trolling. Okay, up to their... After the Terry is a grub part, maybe it's trolling, but I have marked this story as fake news, like, that's just wild, and then it's like, oh, well, he's invoking fake news, so, like, if he operates in these kind of fucking head spaces of, like, fake news and conspiracy, then, you know, he most likely fucking does think all these things, and it's just like, you're a fucking walloper. There are fucking wallopers everywhere. I learned that there's fucking major, major, major walloping being committed in my hometown by this one cunt about, uh, like, Trump and US politics and all. And I'm like, what the fuck? Who put 50p in this bin lid? Like, it's just, it's so fucking sad how insidious this whole fake news thing has become and how it's just, like, fucked everything up. Um... So not to end on that too sad of a note, but like absolute fucking wallop and being committed all round here. Um I've no idea what we're gonna be talking about next week. I'm um, fighting on this weekend and Ganu Miocic, that fucking Ortega fight fell off, so there's a whole load of good me fucking breaking it down. What? Shite. Um, I'll try and get that bonus episode fixed and I will also record a bonus episode about the Snyder Cut. I've got a bunch of notes written on that. Hopefully I'll get to watch the Grey Edition here this afternoon and check out how that goes. And then, um, you know, check out some of those movies I was recommending there tonight. Um, give me a shout. Let me know what you think of them. And, um, questions. If you have any questions for the podcast, please send them my way. Um, punkadelicpodcast at gmail.com. Um, at punkadelic Podcast on instagram and you know we're, we're hoping to do a question and answer episode someday we're starting to build up a couple but like it's not really going crazy well i'm not gonna lie to you so um just anything silly you can think of that i can fucking riff on let's just fucking go with it and we'll do that there my favorite x y or z whatever if those sort of things the top fives or whatever things like that interest you let's get on that and i'll fucking do that um and uh yeah i guess that's fucking it so um smell is later peace love punkadelic